The Old Pilot's Plain Tales, The Wood Duck, Part 2. This is the second part of an interview with the London Air Attaché for the Royal Australian Air Force, Woody, who was a fellow fighter pilot with me on 77 Squadron when I worked with the Australian Air Force. We continue Woody's story of his flying career at the point where he was out in Saudi Arabia flying the Hawk jet trainer. But, uh, it, yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, some incredible uh, landscapes around around Saudi yeah. Arabia to fly around in. A lot of low um, flying? Yeah, a lot of low flying, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. that must have been stunning. Yeah, I mean, around Riyadh was relatively flat. Um, Do you but, have any pictures back from that time? Uh, not airborne pictures, no. It was absolutely verboten. I mean, we didn't have... Oh, was it? It was pre-mobile phone days as well. So, oh, uh, what a shame. You had to have dedicated was, cameras in cockpits. I was hoping so. you'd have some pictures of you merging with your shadow <laughs> over the I desert. Might, I might have some hawk photos like that <laughs> from oh, a little please. bit later on. Yeah, okay, so a little bit later on, what happened then? Next. Yeah, so actually, I, so I ended up spending uh, about seven and a half years in Riyadh, came back to Australia, uh, and then in the space of about a year, year and a half, I was actually in the UK doing hawk training to go back to Saudi Arabia again. Oh, good um, Lord, you so, have been around, haven't you? Yeah, so I had actually uh, tried to get back in our Air Force, but the post-9-11 um, slowdown in airline recruiting resulted in our Air Force being overstocked with aircrew, yep. and therefore there were no aircrew positions available for the likes yeah, of Yeah, a lot of in. people decided to dive back into their military service, That's right. didn't they? Yeah. When they realised their airline uh, prospects were drying up. That's right. Yeah, so I ended up going back to Saudi Arabia, and this time on the Hawk. So I was up in Tobuk in the top left corner. Lovely. Near Jordan. You guys made a great decision buying that Hawk, you know. It's not a bad little jet. Stuffed stuff the Italians there. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was a Hawk 65, so old steam-driven dials, but uh, okay. a nice little jet. So I did training here in the UK on the T1 for about four months before I went out. And then uh, went for the 65, and that was, a, that was a nice jet. And when you talk about terrain, I mean, those in the RAF who've been deployed in Saudi Arabia will know what it's like. There's um, the four different quadrants around Tabuk are all different landscapes, but there's, uh, there's an area down the southwest corner um, full of these massive rocky peaks up out of red flat desert. Oh, wow. And there's a Star Wars Canyon equivalent there. Oh, wow. And there's also footage from the 1991 Gulf War and tornadoes smoking around that area and, that and must low have flying. Fantastic. It was incredible low flying. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, and the Hawk is just one of the most lovely aeroplanes to take low uh, flying. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You literally yeah. your bottom is basically on the bottom of the aeroplane, so you can feel feel the desert beneath you almost. <laughs> so uh, I really enjoyed that time. We had a really great bunch of again contractors, which were Australian, Kiwi, British, New Zealand, South Africans, and uh, had a really good time. Really enjoyed my time up there as well. Oh, that's fa- that's fantastic. Uh, so uh, you you got on with all right with all these different nations? Yeah, yeah. You 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 had to adapt and adjust, but. Um, Particularly up in Tabuk, where it was it was it was lead-in fighter training as opposed to rear, which is basic training. They the the Saudi Air Force had a focus on you know developing frontline pilots, so Excellent. they were more they were more operationally focused, and therefore um, and just it was doing my core business. You know, I was a, I was a fighter instructor and was actually doing fighter instruction again. Yeah, yeah, yeah great. Uh, how long did that last? Uh, I just went there for two and a half years, uh-huh. um, and then yeah, came out of Saudi Arabia. Actually, came back to Australia, ended up doing some. Uh, Hornet simulator instruction for a, uh, a friend of mine who started up his own company. Um, okay. But the draw, the draw of teaching the jet that I'd once flew, except it had now all this extra fantastic kit on it, like helmet-mounted yeah, sights they, they and radars. Yeah, they did some really good things to the Hornet after I left. I, I wonder if they were just waiting for me to exit <laughs> before they brought all these modifications. No, it took, it took a few a few more years than that. But um, <laughs> by the time I got back, having been away from Air Force for 13 years, 
Um, the jet was, it flew the same, but it was a totally different jet. And that's the one thing I'd say. We only retired the Horn at the end of 2021 out of the Australian Air Force. Uh, and we still say to this day, we only reached final operating capability of that jet about three or four months before retirement because it was designed to be upgraded the whole time. And yeah. we kept, kept pace with the technology available. So the kit yeah. it had in it was just amazing. Flew better than it did because they, they improved the flight control system in it. Uh, so it was just an amazing jet to fly and fight in. Oh, and uh, it was the brilliant. most fun I've ever uh, had in How an about the fatigue life of the Air France? Was, was it running out? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Oh, really? We, you, you remember we went through cycles when you were in of, oh, oh, we have yeah, to look yeah. after fatigue. And then it was like, no, it's not a problem anymore. Then, no, it's a problem again. The bottom line is it wasn't a problem in the long run. And uh, we had no, they did they did actually re-wing a number of our Hornets. They, okay. they replaced the, sorry, not re-wing, sorry, the center barrel fuselage. They right. replace on about, don't quote me exactly, I think about 8 to 11 airframes. Okay. But then decided it wasn't cost effective because they did some remodeling. So there was some cracking because the jets had been used well, pretty hard. the fins were initially a big problem. That's right, yeah. Well, we flew the jets a lot harder than the US Navy ever designed them to, to, to be flown. Well, so. you know those pussy Navy pilots. <laughs> Yeah, well, you'd know from Williamtown, you know, you get airborne five minutes later, you're in the fighting airspace. Oh, God, um, yes. And uh, you spent you spent 90% of your fuel fighting in the jet because it was only a 10-minute transit back to base rather than Absolutely, anything longer. Absolutely, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so we, we rode the jets hard and they performed so well in that time. So little wonder that we had some fatigue in some of them. But yeah. ultimately, we were not having to manage fatigue at the end of life in any of the jets. And um, the lovely thing was you were prepared to spend the money to keep them in the air. Yeah, that's right. And ultimately, while we had the original A models, you know, we called them A++'s kind of by the end because <laughs> we actually had the most capable A model Hornets even even compared to some of the C models the US had in the world um, just wow. by virtual the upgrades we've done. Wow, I'd love to hear more about that but we'll have to do that when we're not talking uh, to everyone in the world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, the end of that you uh, moved yes. on to? So, um, when I came back from Saudi or rejoined so did some sim instructor, rejoined the Air Force, and then I went through a number of training posts. So I started on the Hawks, um, instructing as a flight commander on the Hawks. Right. I uh, went back to Hornet as a, as a flight commander um, in charge of our operational conversions. Uh, ended up being EXO of 77 squadron, so back oh, to my old, old stomping ground again. And that was, that was yeah. up to that point, the most fabulous job, being uh, in charge of flying of, yeah. of your squadron with, uh, you know, 14. Who was your boss? I'm just curious. So when I was there, it was uh, Ben Sleeman, who you wouldn't know from your days, no, but uh, I actually instructed him about. on the Hornet way back Oh, you're when, joking. And then he leapfrogged me to become the CEO, and I was his EXO. Uh, oh, dear. But again, it was a fabulous time. It, the the yeah. squadron just uh, continued to be just an outstanding place to... to well, fly, it always had a great reputation, was a wonderful place to, yeah, to work. absolutely. And then ultimately, I ended up uh, in Canberra doing our staff college, followed by a term in the... Poor ground pounder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I, I won't tell you that, unfortunately, <laughs> that was as our Hornets were deployed to the Middle East, and I missed out by three months on that. Uh, by going, I was writing essays at the time. That was very, very... That must have been so frustrating. Unrewarding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you spend all your career doing nothing but training and preparing for this kind of an actual... In an operational mission, and then That's boom, right. yeah, someone so. else goes. And unfortunately, it was just it's just timing. It literally is timing. Some have the luck of timing. In my case, unfortunately, I missed out by three months and Damn. was writing essays instead. But say la vie. That's unfortunately how it worked out. But um, yeah, so did F thirty five project for a year, but then got selected to command our OCU. So I ended up back as a CEO for three years as the last classic Hornet CEO. Yeah, to command a squadron flying Hornets must have been fantastic. I mean, the OCU we all treated as a squadron. Uh, was it a good job? It was. It was fabulous. The best, the best job I've had in my life. Brilliant. Brilliant. 
Yeah. Um, not just, obviously, I got to fly routinely, so I'd still fly four times a week minimum, um, and I got to command 160 of the best people in, yeah. in the world. Fabulous. And all those lovely dinners and things, because I remember our graduation dinner, uh, you know, with, with great fondness, and you're doing that on a regular basis and seeing basically all the new pilots in the Australian Air Force yeah. come through your hands. That's right. The new fighter pilots. Yeah. Then, and two fabulous memories at the end of my end of my tour there. Uh, the very last flight I did, we brought one of our KC-30, so Voyager equivalent A330 tankers down to Williamtown on board. And I took three jets up and we had our families watching us refuel off the uh, tanker How alongside. How cool was that? Uh, so that was pretty cool. And, um, and then the... As it worked out, we had a Hornet ball at the end of that year as well as I hand, handed over command. Um, and I got to, as a final classic Hornet CEO, farewell the last course of Hornet students oh. as they graduated to their squadrons, including 77 Squadron. And I also got to meet the original classic Hornet CEO from 2OCU when I, you know, before my time, uh, who was there on the night. And there I was with him as the last, uh, the last classic Hornet CEO on OCU. So... Well, let's uh, end to what had been a fantastic Hornet, Hornet career for me. Was there anything extra special you did for that final course? No, we still had to get them through training. So yeah. we did the standard thing. We did a, uh, you know, a fly pass down around Newcastle. We wanted to get down as far as Sydney, but we weren't, weren't allowed to at the time. Unfortunately, just due airspace issues, etc. Uh, what a um, shame. So we did a big formation fly over the day prior to the tanker, the tanker sortie. Yeah, um, that, that's special, isn't it? And I'm so, yeah. I'm so impressed that you had Airbus tankers. Right, there you go. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Americans. They listen. are a good tanker. Yeah, that's right. Very good tanker. We've got them as well. Did you, you have. know that? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. did. You're missing the boom, though. We've got the boom as well. Uh, yeah, well, that's only to appease our United States Air Force cousins. Yeah. Um, so you finished your job on the OCU? Um, yeah, so that's so, yeah, just over three years ago now. So I got promoted, um, got, to, uh, got to group captain level and ended up going good outside man. of Air Force and ended up in a joint job uh, doing joint planning at our Joint Operations Command and then subsequently into our, what we call our Strategic Centre doing force design planning for the whole of the Australian Defence Force. So cool. very much out of my swim lane. Um, um, learned that I really would prefer to be in a cockpit, but uh, <laughs> it was it was a, an amazing experience. Well, someone's got to push the paper. That's right. And uh, we have to, you know, everything's joint these days, so it's important to understand how everything's working. So basically I was across... Basically, every project we have in the Defence Force, what was going on in there. But it came to the end of that tour, I was trying to get back, or would have liked to have gone back as an OC of our F-35 wing. Oh, wouldn't that have been wonderful? Yeah. But again, timing-wise, my timing didn't line up. So, oh, uh, would he? <laughs> unfortunately, uh, that was not to be. So... Uh, I literally looked at the list of jobs available for me next and I, I couldn't find any good Air Force jobs I really wanted. And then I looked at the international jobs and London was on offer. So I figured having done my three years in joint jointery, I wanted back in Air Force and what better Air Force job if I couldn't fly than to represent Air Force in a uh, air attache role overseas. And my first choice, I put my name in the hat, went through a selection board interview process. Oh, right. Uh, they didn't I mind your haircut? They didn't at all, no. I think, I think they actually still appreciate it. Everyone does. Uh, I'm just going to make, because you, you may not, I'm going to take a picture, you may not realise, Woody has the same damn haircut he joined the Air Force with, I'm it sure. It is not the same. It's not and as flat. It, <laughs> it looks <laughs> nearly identical. And I'm going to put up a couple of pictures, one of him now and one of him back when he was lounging by the pool in Darwin. <laughs> and he's got just about the same flat top. 
So, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to say I've still got the hair. That's a good thing. <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, out here in London is, is the air and space, but only space for another 20 days, attaché. That's right. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, it is. It's an amazing opportunity for both myself and for my family. So, a wife and a 10-year-old daughter here with me. Um, so, perfect timing. Um, amazing experience. Obviously, Australia being, as many would know, so far around the world, to get over to Europe is quite the adventure just to get here, let alone then tour around. So the opportunity to live in the UK and travel both the UK and Europe um, is just incredible. And you're going to be a busy chap, because I gather this is actually a full-on job over here. Yeah, it is. So apart from, I mean, Washington's our biggest presence, but uh, the UK, especially now with, well, not, not especially with AUKUS, but because of the increased relationship under the AUKUS agreement, um, there is a lot of stuff going on. So uh, pretty much I took over the end of December uh, and since then it's been non-stop until about May. We've got a couple of weeks breathing space right now. Uh, we've had numerous visits, um, joint staff talks, lots of engagements, both formal and informal engagements with other defence attaches and the RAF. Um, but I've had, I mean, the good fortune to um, attend, you know, the 617 Squadron Dam Buster Memorial Service at oh, St. Wow. Clement Dane's uh, Church, just across the road from the Yeah, Australian it's almost, if we stood, climbed out of this pub and looked down the street, we'd, we'd be able to see it. It's right we? there. Yeah, it's right Absolutely. there. Absolutely. And so that was, uh, was really special. I actually delivered a reading you know, on behalf of the Australian contingent of 617. Of course, Squadron. there were Australians as part of 617 Absolutely. during the, the Dan Busters raid. That's yeah. right. And yeah. not, a, not all of them made it back. No, they didn't. No, no. no that didn't. must have been quite a touching moment. It was. No, it was very, very moving. Um, similarly, I'm invited to Battle of Britain Memorial um, that will happen in a few weeks' time. Uh, I've attended a Bomber Command Support support Group Memorial. There's dining in nights and things. I had the really good fortune, given the RF's retiring its C-130 fleet as yeah, of today, yeah, last yeah. flights today. Uh, we have an exchange officer who was flying C-130s up until last week and had the good fortune to actually go flying with him in a C-130 as well oh, brilliant. Um, as brilliant. part of that close down. And uh, yeah, thanks to the RF for facilitating that. They were more than happy to allow us to go and... Uh, uh, th that, is, that. that is fabulous. fantastic. So, um, how far through the tour are you? Uh, so, I'm only six months in. I'm on a three-year three-year tour. So, uh, I, I say to people, our bucket list is as tall as I am, but three years is only about half my half my height. So, um, we've got a lot to get through in three years. So, I might get a chance to come up to London and have another beer with you and another chat. Ex expect so. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Well, thanks very much indeed for giving us your time. Uh, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, it's great to see you. Reliving these wonderful memories. Absolutely. Yep. Thanks. Thanks.